0: All right, guys, welcome to today's show. Now, you may be able to tell, but I've kind of got a cold right now. So my throat's sore, my nose is stuffy, which is why this intro sounds like crap. But nonetheless, this podcast is awesome. I get to sit down and talk with Brady Laney. He's from South Dakota. And the amount of opportunities that he's found in South Dakota in a few short years of living there is pretty amazing. Not to mention, he invited me up there to hunt, and at the end of the podcast, we even start talking about him potentially joining in on the moose hunt up in Alaska. So, it's an awesome episode. I hope you guys enjoy. Let's jump in with Brady.
1: Like, he was doing things that were just badass.
0: That was one of the coolest moments of my life. I was really scared, but knowing that Dan had the gun, I did have the rifle, like we would be okay. All right, guys, welcome to today's show. Now, I'm getting fired up because application season is right right around the corner, and tonight I'm talking to, well, actually, before I get to who I'm talking to, the reason we're talking is because we're about to... We're going to dive into a potential hunt between the two of us, which I'm excited. I've had a lot of people reach out, but not a lot of people that are like, no, for real, come up here and hunt. And so Brady Laney is on the show with me today. And we're talking about a possible South Dakota mule deer hunt this fall. So Brady, thanks for hopping on.
1: Of course. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah. Um, so you reached out and I was like, Man, one archery mule deer is something that I've always wanted to do. I've never actually hunted with a tag in my pocket. I helped somebody hunt one time and we were unsuccessful. Although I counted as a success when you count the amount of encounters we had inside of 50 yards on mature bucks. And so since then, I'm like, dude, I've got the itch. I want to go out and do it. I put in for a rifle tag in Colorado every year. And then I also put in, in Utah for archery tags. I just have yet, I've only drawn, I think one tag so far. And, uh, yeah. And then you reached out and I was like, Hey babe, I know we talked about my different plans for this fall, but I might have to add something to the list.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, South Dakota is a a blast. And the nice thing about South Dakota is everything is a lottery and draw system. However, the resident and non resident archery tags are guaranteed regardless. The only thing with uh, non residents, such as yourself, you have to apply by a certain deadline. So the deadline is usually um, around May timeframe, middle of May. Yeah. Um, So we just have to keep an eye on that and I'll reach out to you and We'll make sure we get you in on that. I missed the deadline last year for my dad. He still came out and hunted, and we had a successful hunt. Um, second year in a row, we got him a deer. Dang. Um, But when you miss the deadline, you can still come out, but it's private land only.
0: Okay.
1: So, But the nice thing out here is I've put in a, a lot of time. Um, I've knocked on a lot of doors, a lot of investigative work via, like, white pages and on X. And uh, I have procured probably close to 6,000 acres of private land to hunt out here
0: dude so we might we might have to dive into that a little bit on this podcast because that's a ton of private land I mean to get (laughs) that I I know guys who have been knocking on doors for years and they might have like one or two 20 or 40 acre chunks but 6,000 that's insane.
1: yeah it's a good chunk and uh you know I've definitely had my fair share of you know people tell me like no and don't call me back um But out here, you know, I kind of, I try to offer more of uh, my services back because out here is a lot of cattle ranchers, right? So in the springtime, I offer to go out and offer uh, my help with uh, branding cattle or if they need any other help on the farm, just try to, you know, and I've even come across a situation I was antelope hunting a couple of years ago and I was hunting public land I went back to my truck to eat some lunch and there was a bunch of cattle in the road. And I noticed a rancher was out there by himself trying to get them back in. So I helped him get them back in. And that alone, uh, when he was done, he's like, if you want to hunt my property, go for it. He's like, I want about 2000 acres over here go get you one. And then the next day I ended up killing one out there. Dang. <laughs> yeah. And sometimes it just works out really well like that, but.
0: Yeah, that's sweet. How many, how many, or what percentage of ranchers, actually take you up on the work side of things or are a lot of them like you know what now go ahead and hunt you don't need to
1: um i've only had three ranchers actually take me up on the help and uh one of them has actually been i met him four years ago went up and well actually the funny story about him his name's dennis nice old ranchers funny guy i was out hunting in the badlands and he doesn't like me going out there and hunting by myself cause he says it's dangerous and whatnot. Well, I was packing a deer out by myself, I had the entire thing on my back. I deboned it on the spot. And, uh, he rolls up, he was out checking cattle and he rolls up on his side by side and he's like, you need a ride back to your truck. And I was like, I would love a ride back to my truck <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, started talking to him just kind of, he gave me permission on all his property then and there. He took me around on the side by side, showed me all the spots. And, um, uh, Yeah, him, I go out there and help him brand cattle every year. And then um, my wife and his wife became friends, and they love having the kids out on the farm. But yeah, I only have about three ranchers that actually take me up on their offers to help. Uh, The rest of them, you know, I think they're just in the moment nice and let me on there. And um, they're kind of uh, out here. It's kind of interesting out in the prairie, which is where I do most of my bow hunting. The ranchers don't necessarily like the deer because they... A lot of them try to, are trying to grow their shelter belts and the deer are really hard on those trees. And then a lot of them, a lot of deer will knock down their fences and whatnot. So when you ask for permission, they're like, yeah, go out there and take two of them. I was like, well, I can't <laughs> take two of them. I can only take one. <laughs>
0: Dude, but, that's, that's awesome. I mean, yeah, it makes sense when they're a nuisance, especially when yeah. that's the livelihood of these ranchers. They, yeah. you know, they get loose cattle that creates days of work potentially for them between getting cattle back in, mending fences. And I I love running into those guys where deer are a problem. You know, I'm like, sweet. Yeah. I'll come (laughs) in, in Missouri. I mean, you can shoot two bucks and it's virtually unlimited. The amount of does you can shoot. It's all white tail. We don't have mule deer here, but even the main property that I hunt here, there's a guy who leases it for, for crops and cattle and he puts soybeans on it and he's like yep. kill every one of those things they're they're eating all my profits and i'm like dude i'll i'll take a bunch of them out but on the flip side he's like ah the coyotes don't really bother me he's like they don't really bother the cows either plus they keep the deer in check and i was like yeah but i like shooting those too so i'm gonna shoot some of them you yeah. <laughs> know
1: well, yeah i've had no issues with coyotes out here um all the ranchers are more than happy of me taking them off. So then there's a plentiful amount of coyotes out here too. Yeah. Um actually this year uh there's a so I try to keep I have property kind of all over here in the western part of the state that I have permission on. Um uh a lot of property in the Black Hills um that I have obtained for uh turkey hunting. Oh nice um, turkey turkey season's right around the corner um kicks off in April. Um, wife and I just did the application. We got all our tags. Um, I actually been putting in for three years for a specific turkey tag out in the prairie that we finally drew. So I'm looking forward to that this year. Um, but out in the prairie, I try to keep a, a monopoly kind of in my area. So I found some public land. A friend of mine uh, took me out there one time. And, you know, that was my first time laying eyes on the Badlands. And I was like, there's no way there's deer out here. <laughs> and we sit down and we start glass and the next thing you know they're just popping up popping up all over i'm like holy cow and that's actually been kind of a little gold mine for us and we've been lucky enough to harvest quite a few deer out of there um at least one nice one you know every deer i've taken out of there has been about 155 plus in the scoring Jeez. range so they're like they're they're solid deer and um there was one property I could never figure out how to get a hold of them. I've done like my investigative work via White Pages and I could never figure out where they lived. And this year, um, there was about 40 plus antelope bedded down, about 150 yards from the road. And I was like, gosh dang it. I was like, I had an antelope tag in my pocket. Um, so cause the antelope season and the deer season kind of overlap a little bit out here. So when I'm out deer hunting um i always keep my eye open for antelope too because i always buy an archery antelope tag and so i was like i wonder if this guy lives in this house over here i was looking on on x so i I roll over there knock on the door and they're sitting at the uh bar eating breakfast and i was like it's like hey and they're like come on in i was like i'm so-and-so um do you guys own this property right next to this road over here? And they're like, Yeah. And I was like, there's some antelope out there. You mind if I go out there and try to get one? And they're like, Oh yeah, take them all out. And I was like, oh, Sounds good. I'm gonna go before they leave. And I ended up shooting one of my big antelope to date out of there. And it was just it was crazy how fast it happened. I was literally leaving deer hunting, had a you know a pretty rough morning, saw some deer, didn't have any luck, and I was like heading back home and I saw them and I was like, I better go ask. So and Dude. then, so now I got permission on their property too. And it's just crazy how like, all it takes is going up, finding their house on Onyx or whatever app you use, base maps, um, and just going and knocking on the door. Yeah. That was a big, uh, that was a big change for me. Cause I grew up in Northern Minnesota. My parents own some property out there and I'm used to just, you know, our property and we have deer, you know, we plant crops out there and that's pretty much what we got. You know, we run cameras all year. And so, my first uh, experience going door to door and asking for permission or even hunting public land, spot and stock was new to me. And I started doing that in New Mexico when I first joined the military. And we were chasing audads, ads, uh, oh, barber dang. sheep. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it was, <laughs> it was funny. You know, northern Minnesota is pretty much farmland, pretty flat. And you know, I'd see this mountain. I'm like, oh, I'm just gonna go up there real quick and check the backside. You know, there's no real quick. It took me about an hour and a half to get halfway up. <laughs> so, and then I was like, well, there's got to be better ways to do this. So I started asking permission for properties. So I'm like, hey, I, like I don't want to hunt your property. I just want to cross it to get over there because it takes me about two hours to go up that mountain.
0: <laughs> yeah, dude, so. it's it's insane coming from the Midwest and experiencing anything like really west of like minnesota iowa kansas once you get into some of those rolling hills even the prairies you look at them and you're like i could see anything out there with my naked eye and you start going and you realize there's gullies and ravines and hills and there's things that you would never imagine out there just from driving down the road and looking out and yep. then you also realize how many of these low points that that deer use as travel corridors, and you're like, there could be a hundred deer in this thing, and you'd never see it unless you yep. were right where I'm at, looking down into it.
1: Yeah, I don't. I can't tell you how many times I've sat out in the badlands and just glassed for hours and haven't seen anything, and then you know, all it takes is. One moment, and next thing you know, you got deer coming out of this ravine, that ravine, and they're you know 50, 60 yards away from you. Like, they've been there this whole <laughs> time. Like, come on! But, or like, it, the worst part is when you go in on a stock, you spot one you like, and you're like, all right, cool, I got a plan. I'm gonna drop down this ravine. I've hunted out here before, I know it goes this way. And then you hop down in that ravine, and next thing you know, you're bumping does, you're bumping fawns, you're bumping other bucks, and you're just like, gosh, dang it. And of course, they always go towards the one you want to go after.
0: Yep. <laughs> Yeah, we uh, went the one year I I drew a a mule deer tag out in Colorado. I was like, all right, I'm going to go. I'm going to look. I see them all the time while I'm elk hunting. And I'm thinking, you know, I've got an elk and a deer tag in my pocket. I'll end up seeing a mule deer, but I really do want to shoot one. And I'm looking and looking and looking and I can't find deer to save my life. Like I saw a couple had one really nice buck that like was directly on the hill underneath me. And it ended up skirting around this point, never to be seen again. And I start. I was talking to this guy and he's like, have you gone down like out in the plains and the flatlands? And I was like, no, he's like, there's some gullies out there. Just drainages where like floods have washed everything away. He goes, if you just go and walk the edge of that, you'll shoot a mule deer. And I was like, what? Like, I, and it was the same type of thing. I could see him from the road And I'm thinking I would see a mule deer if it's out here. And then you get out there and it might be 20 foot straight down wall to the bottom of this wash. And I ended up not shooting one over there. I didn't spend a lot of time because I was hunting with other elk hunters. And I'm like, if all of us have an elk tag and I'm the only one with a mule deer tag, we might as well, well go after elk and not waste everybody's time on a deer. And, uh, but the one time that we drove over and we're just scouting, it's like every time you go down the dirt road and you come across one of those low washes, you can just see the whole bottom is covered in tracks. Yep. And I'm like, that would be so much fun. Just stocking those drainages with your bow in hopes of getting a shot.
1: Yeah. Out here at those drainages too, is uh it's a lot of fun. What I'll do sometimes is I'll go find a, a post up on an edge where I can see down the drainage quite a ways and I'll sit there and that's how I find, you know, 90% of my deer sheds. Like, and you just like they they use those like crazy and it's insane like where they live and how they live especially out in the badlands you know um and but it, it can be a little dangerous too because like like we were talking earlier is it doesn't look like much yeah. from where like up when you're up top it doesn't look like much but when you drop down there you start looking around you're like holy cow <laughs> like, my wife shot a really nice 10 pointer this year her first deer ever. It was super fun. Never had a tag in her pocket before. And uh, we were actually driving out to our spot. And we were going down this road. The left side of the road was public land and it dropped into the badlands. And the right side was private. A little bit of private that I didn't have permission on. And uh, she, my wife was like, babe, there's one right there. I was like, if he crosses the road, he's dead. And yeah. sure enough, he was chasing the doe and she crossed the road she stamped her ticket or his ticket and we pulled the van over and we had to sprint probably about a hundred and 150 yards to the edge towards the badlands. And, you know, we get up to the edge, we get down and he's down there and uh, he was actually like actively breeding the doe. And I told my wife, I was like, just, just let him finish. I was like, I'd, I'd like, you know, if that was me, I'd want to finish. <laughs> so we let him do his business and she took the shot and she dropped him at 400 yards and we're like Dang. you know super excited and uh we go, we start going down there and it doesn't seem like much when you're going down there and we get up to the deer and you know take pictures we field dress it and then we start looking up and we're like crap my wife's like how are we going to get him out of here I was like well we got two options we cut him up and we carry him out on our backs or we're dragging him and she's like let's drag him I was like oh
0: okay gosh. yeah <laughs>
1: So we dragged him about 500 yards back up and out. And by the time we were done, she laid down. She's like, I can't feel my legs. I'm exhausted. (laughs) She's like, it doesn't look like anything until you get up to it. And I was like, yeah, it's it's dangerous out here. Like, you got to be really careful. These ravines, you know, they just look like they're rolling real smooth. But once you get down there, you're like, it rolls and it cuts deep and comes back up. And it rolls and cuts deep and comes back up.
0: Yeah, my wife. My wife came out with me whitetail hunting and we just climbed up in a tree. My, my double setup that I hung for her was not like just getting into the tree. She's like, I don't like this. This is stupid. (laughs) Like, I don't ever want to do this again. And then we're sitting there and maybe only 45 minutes into sitting, she looks at me and she goes, is this all you do? And I'm like, (laughs) yeah. And she's like, you literally sit here for eight hours waiting for a deer i'm like yeah and she's like no this is not for me but then i'm thinking she wouldn't she would love the adventure of like spot and stock hunting but at the same time she might get enough of it pretty quick and be like put me back in a tree stand
1: yeah that's how my wife was uh the first time i ever took her out i kept it pretty modest stayed in a pretty you know nice area you know and she loved it she was hooked she's like this is awesome like it's so beautiful out here and then <laughs> we have a, a saying now. So, like, we have a, a little spot in the Badlands where we hunt, and it's pretty modest terrain. And the deer love moving through there. So, like, we try to get out there early. We'll try to ambush them, figure out where they're moving, and keep it simple. But when that doesn't work out, we call it, well, now we got to drop into the shit. Yeah. And that's where the terrain gets insane. So, out in the Badlands there, it's all that stuff they call gumbo And when it's really hot and dry, it's just really crumbly, very slippery. And then when it rains, it turns into just pure muck, like nasty, just the worst mud you've ever walked in. And we were out hunting this year. I had already filled my tag, but we were helping another buddy try to fill his tag. And we spotted a nice buck. And I, I looked at my wife and I was like, it's time to drop into the shit. (laughs) <laughs> and she's like she's so mad she's like give me the truck keys i want to go back i was like i'm not gonna let you sit in the truck for the next two hours i was like we're going yeah and she was so mad at me the whole time every time we go down the steep slope she'd turn around and look at me and just glare and i was like i'm sorry <laughs> i love you
0: <laughs> i love you you look back this is, this will be fun a year from now okay yeah. in the moment it's not but a year from now you will look back and be like hey that was pretty fun what uh, okay so out of all of these because you've described so many different terrains that you hunt in right mm-hmm. out of all of those what's your favorite
1: my favorite for deer is definitely the badlands prairie badlands. Yeah. Um uh, it's for me um what i like to do is i like to try to escape other hunters Um, I like to get back, I'll put in a little bit, a few more miles and a little bit more work just to escape the crowd. Yeah. And to me, working for the food that's going to provide for my family, putting in that little bit of extra work makes it all that much more worth it. So, um, the Badlands for me is, um, that, and it is also plentiful with animals, um, but it really tests your skills as a predator yeah. Uh, because out there, the wind variations, uh, I can't tell you how many stocks I've been on where the entire stock, the wind was in my favor. And as soon as I get within bow range, it's not in my favor anymore. And I think it's very interesting versus like the black Hills or back in Minnesota hunting, you know, you know, farmland, you know, those, those deer are not conditioned, but they're a lot more predictable. Yeah. Where the deer out here in the Badlands, they're they don't they have a pattern, but the pattern is very broad and hard to figure out. So when I'm able to make something happen out there, I feel my skills as a predator is, you know, validated for myself. And it feels a lot better knowing that I just beat that animal who lives out there in this gorgeous, dangerous, just insane terrain at basically his own game. Yeah. Uh so for for deer that's that's where it's at antelope prairie is pretty much all you're going to get out here um that's that's a lot of fun too and then turkeys obviously i do my turkey hunting in the black hills um a lot more people you got to deal with when it comes to that but there's so many turkeys out here in the black hills it's insane
0: yeah i i've never really hunted hill country for turkeys and I feel like it would be a lot of fun. In fact, I hunt mainly field edge. Uh, I've got, it's like they torment me, man. It's just like everything with trail cameras. Your trail cameras right. can be your best friend and your worst enemy all at the same time. And yeah. right now I am getting giant groups of turkeys coming through, tons of long beards. And they're just like feeding. I mean, out of 40 acres of beans, it seems like they'll just feed in front of my camera for 45 minutes. And I'm like, this is awesome, but I've got over a month and I know (laughs) that I'm not going to see these groups. Like I do see a lot of turkeys while I'm hunting and typically I have successful seasons, but the amount of Tom's just hanging out together right now, it drives me crazy. And same with bucks, (laughs) like the bucks, the day, the day that season ended, I had my two biggest shooters walk right in front of one of my cameras out in a bean field. And I mean, these beans had been cut for months. They go out there and they just start tickling antlers. And I'm like, you know how bad <laughs> I've wanted to see that in person, like two mature bucks, just do. I mean They weren't, they weren't like death fighting, right? They were just sparring, but I'm yeah. like, dude, even that I would give anything to see my two, two most mature bucks out there, just touching antlers and listen to it from across the field.
1: Yeah. Of course they wait until the season's over. (laughs) Always.
0: It's always. They know, man. I I swear they know. And everybody jokes about it, but until you really experience it, you're like, how how is this possible? Every single year, the day that season ends, all of a sudden they all show up. All right. How many of you guys hate dealing with tangled up rope? Trying to untie it, it's all knotted up and you actually really need it at the time. don't raise your hands because I obviously can't see you, but those days are long gone. Rapid Rope is a quick deploy rope solution that you can pull the length you need and cut it all with one hand. You don't need knives or scissors or a lighter to singe the end because it's cross-threaded to keep it from fraying. Yeah, they've thought of everything. And this is way stronger than your average 550 cord. In fact, this is 1100 pound test. It comes in a shatterproof canister that you can fit in the cup holder in your vehicle or your backpack or, I don't know, if you still wear cargo pants, any one of the thousand pockets that you have. It comes in a 120-foot canister, a 70-foot canister, and you can get a rope refill. So just in a matter of seconds, you could be deploying and cutting rope with one hand again. So if you want to stop dealing with the headache of untying rope and detangling everything anytime you need to tie something down, go check out rapidrope.com and use code NOMADIC for 10% off at checkout. If you're an avid listener of this podcast, you've probably heard me talking about Infinite Outdoors in the past. Infinite Outdoors is expanding access for hunting and fishing on private land across the country. From whitetail hunts in Missouri to waterfowl hunts in Wyoming and pheasant hunts in Colorado, they provide access to over a million acres of private land listings for all types of hunting and fishing. Best part is it's incredibly easy to browse and book properties all on the infinite outdoors app. The app is free to download and easy to use. All you have to do is sign up and you can browse over 250 different adventures across 10 States, download the app today and use nomadic 15 for 15% off your membership. Yeah,
1: that's exactly how it goes. it's really cool here too, uh, going back to the turkeys. Um, So you're going to get two different types of hunters out here. You got hunters that you do your traditional turkeys, you know, you find your field, you find your spot, you run a camera, you kind of figure them out and then you sit there and wait for them. Um, But the other way that I've learned out here and that I'm actually kind of hooked on that is the only way I hunt turkeys is is spot and stock. Yeah. Um, And that's, that's more like, I know a lot of people do it, but like, it's not something I was ever used to because I've never hunted turkeys until I came out here to South Dakota. And uh, when I started doing that, I've done both and I've had successful hunts on both. I've killed birds on both. But spot and stock, especially with the bow, that's a lot of fun. There was one year uh, I actually doubled up. So I had a shotgun tag in my pocket and I had an archery tag in my pocket. Well, with the shotgun tag, you can use any legal firearm so I could yeah. use my bow. And I was actually—it was really cool. I had—I ha- got to have my dad out here with me, and we stalked in on these turkeys, and we were able to cut them off. So they were coming right into our lap. and there was a group of five long beards. And I drew back, and I smoked one at 20 yards. And I'm sitting there, and my dad's all excited, and then the other four—they were just sitting there looking at the at their buddy, like, "What the heck just happened to you?" And I was like. <laughs> I got another tag in my pocket. Let's see what I can do. And I knocked another arrow, and I ended up shooting two right there. Oh my it was, it was super cool. Yeah, two long beards. I got a, a really sweet picture hanging up in the house, both of them with the bow. It's That was probably one of the funnest hunts I've had in a while, and the fact that my dad got to be there was even better.
0: So walk me, walk me through that process of spot and stalk turkey hunting with a bow. Is it actually you're spotting them, or is it that you hear them gobble, and then you move the direction of the gobble?
1: It's, it's a little bit of both. So you, they're not always talking to you. So like, obviously we do a lot of locating. Um, we've done, we try to keep the calling to a minimum, especially in early season. They're not really talking a whole lot. Um, but you know, we've tried crow calls, um, you know, your read calls, your mouth calls. Um, the, the best way I've gotten them to answer me in early season is just hollering like a coyote. And it seems like that they always answer with that. Um, but yeah, we'll we'll try to locate them. And when they do answer, we have a good sense of direction of where they're at, and yeah. we start to move in and try to spot them from there. But other times it's it's just kind of learning the area, learning where they like to hang out, and then you're going out there, finding a small ridge and just glassing, seeing if you can see them moving around. So it's a it's a little bit of both.
0: Dude, that. I mean, I'm not diminishing deer's senses at all, but knowing how good a turkey's eyes are, trying to put a stalk on one of those things, especially when they're in a group. Yeah. Like a single bird, you know, when it's heads down, you can move closer. But I've had so many blown stalks on turkeys with my shotgun because I didn't know there was a hen hanging out 20 yards from me, and I just yep. pushed it a little bit closer, and all of a sudden I just see a head pop up, I see them doing their velociraptor sprint across the across the <laughs> yep. field, and I'm like, "He got to be kidding me."
1: Yeah, there's one thing I've learned too is, especially out here in the Black Hills, is you do not chase turkeys. Once they know you're there and they take off, you might as well forget about it or find another way around to cut them off. Because if you go after them, like you'll hear them, you're like, "Oh, they're right over there." No, they're six ridges away.
0: Jeez. <laughs> so,
1: but turkey hunting yeah, that... uh, in the Black Hills has been really cool uh one of the coolest things that's happened to me out here since hunting turkeys is uh i was out by myself one day i was on a tom and we we're just talking and then i started hearing more talking and i was working in on it and then i i get in i see him and he kind of moseys off but I, I hear other hunters and i was like oh dang it so but the funny thing is I ended up waving down these hunters because I I wanted them to know that I was there because I think we were kind of falling against each other there. Yeah. Come up and talk to the guy. And it's it's a guy guiding two other hunters and start talking to the guy. You know, I told him, I was like, you know, I'm fairly new at turkey hunting, you know, just trying to get out here and figure it out. And he, he gives me his phone number. He's like, give me a call. He's like, when I'm done hunting with these guys, he's like, I'll have these guys a bird today or tomorrow. Uh, Give me a call and we'll go out there and hunt. And then one of the hunters that he was with looked at me and he's like, you know, pointed at him and went like this. And I was like, okay. So I was like, that's so weird. Like, so I, I looked him up, like when I got back home and I, I went on Facebook, tried finding him, couldn't find him. So I went to Google and his name was Jim joint. Turns out this guy is a Mossy Oak pro staffer, super famous, been in magazines, uh, you know, hunting magazines and he does guided hunts now and I Dang. was like holy crap the people that you run into in the field is just insane
0: dude that's so I ended cool up,
1: uh, yeah I ended up hunting with him for about two years um you know we still stay in touch and I learned pretty much everything I know about turkey hunting from him and what I thought I knew I didn't even know a little bit like every time I hunt with him I feel like I don't know anything yeah he's he's insane at his calling and just his knowledge of the birds. And it's insane.
0: Dude. I love meeting people like that who are masters of their craft. And like, for me, I hunt all the time. I absolutely love hunting. And in my mind, I'm like, dude, I know how to do this. And then there's certain guys that I meet where I'm like, I wish I knew everything that they'd forgotten. Like they know so much about deer hunting or bird hunting or elk hunting. And it blows my mind, but at the same time, I know when I go out with my wife or I take a new hunter out, they kind of have that same thing. Like, dude, how do you know that? How do you know that? How do you know? And I'm like, I guess just after years of doing it, you pick things up along the way. But I come across guys that, like you, yep. bought on public land and make it happen on mature bucks. And I'm like, I have so much respect for that because although I've I've hunted plenty of public land for... For elk and other species, whitetail. I'm like, I don't even know where to begin chasing after whitetail on public land.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's uh, whitetail out here, especially in the prairie, is is a lot tougher. There's some big deer out here. Don't get me wrong, I'm not taking anything away from the quality of South Dakota deer. Uh, most most hunters will go to the Black Hills, but a lot of the guys that know the area, they go out to the prairie you know, to find their big whitetails. And it's just absolutely insane. Um, There's a Facebook page called South Dakota, big bucks, Um, even East river. So South Dakota, they have that divided up West river, East river, and it's separated by the Missouri river. And uh, the, the quality and just caliber of deer that they take from this state and what this state can produce is absolutely insane. And the crazy thing was, if it wasn't for the military, I would never even thought to come to this state. Yeah. You know, I got stationed here back in 2020, and I've been hunting out here ever since. And I was like, I don't ever want to leave. Like, I... my wife is military. She's separating. And we're we're fully set on staying here the rest of our lives. It's It's just magical out here like the caliber of deer elk tags are a little tougher to get out here um their draw system is a um very hard to get but they do that for good reason like their their elk that they have out here high caliber elk and they're really good
0: there's so many states like that now that people overlook for certain species but i've got a buddy that i elk hunt with out in Colorado who he's a Nebraska resident and he drew a Nebraska elk tag. And that joker, I mean, he couldn't get all the antlers in the picture when he sent us the picture. It, if girl. I remember right, it was a seven by eight. And yeah. it was, an, like, I've never seen, I've never seen an elk that size even going to like Estes Park or Rocky Mountain National Park, you know, where there's giant, Elk and you're hearing them bugle and you're watching them chase this this deer or this elk. I'm like, this is the difference between eating sagebrush and eating corn all its life. Yeah, it's crazy when you find some like corn-fed or like low pressured elk and what they can actually turn into.
1: Right. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that though about like the sage and the uh, corn feeding. So back in Minnesota where I'm from feeders um you got those hunters that will throw their corn piles out or a lot of things people do beat piles yeah out here out here you don't see that like it's all all these deer are naturally fed and i brought my dad out here and he had killed a really nice whitetail back in minnesota with his bow and then he killed a really nice mule deer his first mule deer ever first spot in stock in south dakota he shot a really nice mule deer well we tried both the meat like comparison and it is kind of crazy like how much better the more naturally fed deer tastes versus like the corn pile fed deer
0: yeah like the corn
1: the corn pile fed deer might have some good genetics and like you know all that extra nutrients and you know little boost that they're getting from the corn piles or like the feed blocks and stuff like that might be a little bit bigger but taste wise the more naturally fed deer are just they taste so much better it's so weird
0: that's interesting i mean i've had both but i i have never done the side-by-side test of them both because i've had i've had like wisconsin deer
1: yeah
0: they just eat acorns and browse and they hit hit cornfields and i've had some of those that (laughs) taste awful i mean like straight from the processor you can just smell like dude these don't even smell good to eat i mean not like they're rotten but you're like, this is going to be a very, very gamey flavor that I've got to get out of this. And then on the flip side, yeah, mule deer from yep. Colorado mountain country, elk from out there, holy cow, some of the best meat I've ever had.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's just interesting what they eat and how they live dictates so much on how they taste. Yeah, it's walk like the me... antelope out here in South. Go ahead. Oh, the antelope out here in South Dakota, they're very sagey tasting. So like the marinade that you use and stuff is, you know, detrimental to enjoying them.
0: Yeah, I I haven't eaten. I don't think I've ever eaten antelope. I've never hunted antelope. Um, I've been putting in for, for points for them, but I just haven't had the time since we moved away from Colorado to actually get back out there and antelope hunt. Um, but that's definitely something I want to try to do. But again, I can't imagine the country that you're in, you know, like spot and stock. Are you, I guess that's another question I've got for you. Are you um, using any type of decoy, like any silhouette decoy or those deals that you clip onto your bow when you're doing the spot and stocks for antelope out there? Are you,
1: you cut out there for a minute. What was the
0: question? Um, d are you using any type of decoys when you're hunting like mule deer and antelope or are you just are you just using terrain so we, to sneak up?
1: Mule deer Um me personally I I just like to use terrain. Um yeah. there I do have some Montana decoys um you know and I've used them and I've had them work uh, especially for antelope um uh, but I've just had more success with just using the terrain to my advantage. Um so yeah, it's it's kind of interesting. So one of the most memorable antelope uh, hunts that I've ever had is I spotted an antelope, um, a group of them, and they bed down on this hillside. And it was, I had no cover. I had no good way on them. If I went around, the wind wasn't in my favor. Um, so I was facing dirt, crawling, uh, arrow knocked already just pushing my bow as I went, crawling through cactus, um, finding a little sagebrush that I could nestle up next to and put the glass back on him. And when I, as I was going, I was just watching his eyes because he was probably like 200 yards away. And I could see when he was picking his head up and when he was dozing off. So as I was going, you know, I just kept my eye on his eyes. And every time I saw his head pick up, I'd stop. And every time I got up to a sagebrush, I'd sit there and wait a little bit. Well, I got within probably 80 yards of this antelope, and I was sitting in the sagebrush waiting for him to put his head back down, and the hair stood up on the back of my neck, and I felt something just nudge my butt. I was like, what the heck? So I turned around really slow, and here's a little baby cow huh. checking me out. And I was like, what the heck? And the next thing you know, I have a herd of cattle just doing circles around me. And i was like well dang it this probably just blew my stock and i sat there for a minute as these cows were like checking me out like what the heck is that thing like what is what's going on here and the antelope didn't care i was like well shoot i was like i'm gonna try this and i was like i hope it works but i'm gonna use these cows to my advantage so i got up on all fours and i started crawling and as i was crawling the cows were just following me creating like a circle so i was using cows as cover and I was able to stalk within 40 yards for so I shot this antelope in his bed. I was like, you got to be kidding me. There's no way that just worked.
0: Dude, that's amazing.
1: <laughs> yeah, it I... was the craziest hunt I've ever had. And I was like, because before that, it sucked. Like I'm pretty sure I still got cactus needles in my knee today from that. <laughs> like, I was pushing dirt, crawling through cactus, picking needles out as I went. And it was just miserable until I was able to get up a little bit and move. And I was using the dang cows as my cover
0: dude forget duck dogs we need like
1: decoy cows and they make them montana makes decoy cows but i don't think anything beats the real thing no yeah
0: (laughs) i'm talking about a straight up pet that you you train to heal and it walks right beside you you maybe get three or four of them and if you think (laughs) about it like every animal in north america is used to seeing cows like no matter where you go I guarantee those animals have run into a cow at some point and don't view it as a threat. Imagine just having, just having this big black Angus just walking next to you everywhere you go. And you could just use that to sneak up on whatever you wanted.
1: Well, man, that'd be awesome. I don't know if Game and Fish would frown upon that or if they'd give you kudos.
0: Yeah. I I don't know that there's any live cow regulations out there. (laughs)
1: it's funny you say that so my wife and i were having a conversation the other day and uh we're talking about turkey hunting well we have backyard chickens and turkeys um you know that we raise yeah and she's like well turkey season this year why don't we just leash up one of our turkeys and bring them with he won't even ever have to call i was like you know that's not a bad idea
0: (laughs) yeah well i i thought the same thing uh my buddy had ducks at one point And I'm like, dude, you need to train your ducks to just follow us down to the pond. And then they can swim around. We don't bring decoys. You know, they just come down and swim around. Well, it turns out that is very, very illegal. You cannot use live (laughs) ducks to decoy birds. And we never (laughs) did it. I mean, we found out beforehand. But I was like, you know how awesome that would be? Even if you had two of them. Like, imagine having two farm mallards that just go everywhere you do. And then... That's going to bring birds in. You know, they're going to be quacking. They're going to be talking. They're going to be swimming. (laughs) Nothing beats a live animal. All right, guys, I've got to tell you about some of the new XOP products that I've been using this fall, and some of them I use in kind of an unconventional way. First off, I use the Mondo saddle, but I also use their turkey hunter vest, and I take the cold world stand, put it in the back of the vest, and carry it in that way. Depending on how far I have to pack in, I'll just bring a foot platform, but one thing I've learned is that if I put the seat cushion on the underside of the seat and flip it up, it turns it into a knee pad also, or I can flip the seat down and sit on it like a conventional tree stand. I also use their holster kit clipped right onto my saddle to carry in my climbing sticks while keeping my hands free. If you're interested in getting a mobile hunting setup like mine, go to xopoutdoors.com and use code NOMADIC for 10% off at checkout. Alright, if you're not using cams, Reveal cell cameras on your hunting property for scouting or monitoring the wildlife, you are seriously missing out. When you pair that with the Reveal mobile app, you can see the action as it's happening, no matter where you are. In fact, I've got trail cameras up in Wisconsin on the land that we hunt, and not only do I get pictures from those cameras sent to me, I can also track the progress of the camera, the battery life, how much memory is left on the SD card, And I can see what the weather's doing at the time that a picture is taken. So I can't think of a better tool for scouting, whether it is close to home or in a totally different state. So if you want to stay tuned into the action or just get into the action, go to revealcellcam.com or tactcam.com and use code NOMADIC for 10% off at checkout.
1: Yeah. That's funny too. Uh, we actually have, we have, we had two, um, but right now one, one died, but we have one male mallard uh, in in our chicken coop and we live right on the edge of town or on the other side of the gravel road where we live, there's a bunch of farms and they have ponds and there's geese and ducks over there all the time. Yeah. And I made, a, I made a joke one day. I was like, I should just send our mallard over there and tell him to bring some back and we'll just sit back here at the BB gun or something. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's funny though, is our mallard got out one day, and flew away and i was like oh that sucks you know the kids were sad and you know they're bummed out well we were actually home on vacation back in minnesota and i was checking the security cameras in the backyard i told my wife i was like holy crap babe our duck is back and he was just waddling around the backyard (laughs) and he was like dang he must have been like it's cold out here you have to fight for your food like i miss the heat (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> he thought it, it's like a kid going off to college and then moving back in with his parents. <laughs> like, yeah, this is I not didn't like that at all. As I thought, <laughs> dude, that's awesome. I've had a I had a friend in college who had a pet crow, and he would talk about it. And he's like, dude, they're crazy. And, and apparently, I have no confirmation of this. I probably just need to look it up on YouTube. But he said that crows will actually start talking like a parrot will after a few years old. And I was like, no way. But he said the biggest thing with them is they love shiny objects. And he's like, so if I'm missing a wrench, I can go out to the tree that that crow always hangs out in and find that wrench underneath the tree. If you leave a (laughs) soda can out or a spoon or literally anything shiny, they like to pick them up. But I was like, dude, I would use that thing as a confidence decoy in the deer woods. Imagine sitting up in a tree and having a live crow with you. Like yeah. deer know how skittish crows are. And he's like, Oh, trust me. I would. He's like, even if I didn't want it to come with, it would follow me out there and just sit in a branch above my head. And he's like, it's exactly like you're saying a deer comes in. They might look up and think like, Oh no, there's something up there. And then they see a crow and they're like, Oh, never mind, There's nothing in that tree. You know, like, there's no people out here. There's a crow up in the tree. And he's like, it works wonders. But I'm like, dude, I might have to implement that. Put a crow up in a tree or just get a pet crow. I don't know how legal that is.
1: I'm sure there's a law on it somewhere.
0: <laughs> there's there's laws for my In college, my buddy, Chris, he was, like, in leadership over us, and he called it the dumb rule. He's like, every rule we have is because something dumb had happened and we had to enforce the law. And I'm like, that's basically what fishing game in every state is saying like
1: that's what the military
0: is every
1: rule we have in the military is because some airman or some soldier decided that they wanted to try something and they're like well we can't do that anymore
0: (laughs) (laughs) that'll happen uh dude okay so realistically let's talk about a potential hunt this fall because ever since you messaged me i've Mm -hmm. excuse me i've been pumped Walk me through, so, okay, say I get my license, we set a date to come up there, walk me through the process of actually archery hunting a mule deer, because, I mean, I know you said it's a lot of predatory instincts, it's probably going to be a lot of trial and error, you're going to be like, dude, you are doing this all wrong, you got to get lower, you got to do this, you got to use the terrain better, but for someone who's never done it, walk me through what that process looks like.
1: Well, um, you're not going to be the only one. So I'll have plenty of patience. Uh, I think just this year alone, I've taken three hunters out that I've never done it before. Um, and they all had successful hunts. Uh, my buddy Dylan, I got him a really nice mule deer. My dad came out again. My wife got one. Uh, I had a couple other buddies. I put them on them. Uh, the biggest thing, though, um, when you come up, so where I hunt is only about 40-ish minutes from my house. So, like, me, I like to sleep in my own bed um, and see the kids at night. But, when like, when my dad comes up or, you know, sometimes we just like to camp out, um, we'll yeah. set up camp. The biggest thing is um, the wind out where we're at is very interesting. Um, you, I usually try to shoot for a north wind um, based on the area where I hunt. Um, if it's a south wind, I got to change up my whole game plan and go to a, a completely different place um, because I don't want to push all the deer out. So first and foremost, we're we're keeping an eye on the weather and we're keeping an eye on the wind. Yeah. Um, and then the biggest thing that is super detrimental, and what I think personally gives me a little bit of an upper edge on some of the other hunters. Um, is I get out there at least an hour and a half before the sunrise.
0: Okay. And
1: I find, I find a spot where the wind's in my favor. I know the deer are going to be moving because they always move up in the fields and the flat tops right away in the morning. And then as the sun comes up, they fall, they trickle down into the badlands. Once they drop into that badlands, your percentage of success drops. Tremendously. Um, because like we were talking earlier, once they get in there, You can't, you can't find them. So, you know, if you come out, we're going to get out there. We're going to set up. We're going to see him up top. We're going to find one that we like, hopefully a nice mature one. And we're going to just watch him because with their, they're feeding up top and then they're dropping in. And then we're going to watch them drop in for as long as we can before he disappears. Um, And not too long after they drop in, they're going to bed down. Okay. You know, they're, they don't stay on their feet too terribly long in the morning. They're going to bet down and we just have to find them in their bed. And then that's our best chance to stock. Um, so it's kind of a, a little bit of on the fly sometimes, because sometimes where you think they're going to be moving, they're not, and they're actually coming right to your lap and you got to put it on a play to make it happen. Or sometimes they're, they're slightly off of where you think they're going to be. And you have an opportunity to put a play on them right away. And you have a good, you know, it's, it's all about playing the train. You're watching where they're going. And I found it out here a lot. So like, I have good ideas of where they're going to be moving and where they're headed. So regardless, if we miss them in the morning, I know where they're going to be and we can go out there and find them in their beds. Um, that's where we call it dropping into the shit yeah because then we gotta get out there and go because they they bed down in some of the nastiest spots you can imagine um uh, so yeah that's pretty much it and uh we're basically just gonna be playing the train and playing the wind and yeah. finding them in their beds um funny thing the first mule deer my dad got out here um we met, same same concept you know we played the wind had a nice north wind got out there early saw the buck that we wanted to go after wasn't able to make it happen so we went up to another ridge and we were just waiting it was midday probably like 11 o'clock you know and we just decided to find some shade and take a nap eat some lunch take a nap and it was crazy and it really helped me learn a lot about what the deer are doing out here we were laying underneath this big sagebrush, um, and we lost our shade. The sun had shifted and we lost our shade and it was starting to get hot. Cause like, I like to do my hunting out here early season because not a lot of people hunt. the deer are still a lot calmer. Um, they're not pushed and pressured by rifle hunters or anything like that. And, uh, and then the only downfall is you have to, you have to take care of your meat, pack it properly and get it back to the truck on ice know or camp. Um but we lost we lost our shade and it was starting to get hot. And my dad was like, well, what do you want to do? And I was like, it's only noon. I was like, deer probably gonna start moving, you know, a little bit in the next hour. So I was like, let's just go to the other side of this ridge, find some new shade. Well, when we were moving to the other side, that's when we bless you. That's that's when we that that's when we ran into the buck that he shot. And I was like, well, you know what? He lost his shade too. And yeah. he was moving to find new shit. So that's another thing too. And it's just a lot of, you know, a lot of ridge to ridge glassing, seeing what you see. But even, even then I don't like doing that a whole lot because I could move to a ridge, I'll glass that ridge, that, you know, area for an hour, not see anything, just had to drop in and bam, I'm pushing deer out. Yeah. So it's like where they back in is super, you can't see them. They blend in so well dude
0: i am so excited like hearing all of this is i mean it's everything i think about for mule deer hunting right i've seen the videos where guys wait for them to bed down pushing close and then it's like they might be within range but they don't actually have a shot until the deer stands up and the waiting game for me yep that's going to be the hard mental part is like don't force it don't push too hard wait for a good shot opportunity not that i'm going to take a bad shot but i'm like maybe i can just sneak over a little Mm -hmm. bit get a better opportunity and then all of a sudden i blow the blow the whole chance at it um so i mean i'm definitely going to be taking taking cues from you on all of that stuff i just it blows my mind thinking about being out there with a bow in hand making plays on animals like this
1: it's a blast it's it's so addicting growing up hunting whitetail and then getting out and actually like chasing muleys it's I, I don't really dream of anything else but that nowadays. yeah what except for my wife she watches this i dream about my wife all the time
0: <laughs> when, when she listens back to this she's gonna be like wow really only that my wife i gave my wife a hard time after a helicopter hog hunt i did and i called her she's like how was it and i was like it was unbelievable And I said, it was the, it was the most fun you can have with pants on. And she, she laughed a little bit and I go, you know what? It's probably even more fun things you can do with your pants off. And she was like, are you freaking kidding me? She's like, really? You think that helicopter hog hunting is more fun than sex? And I was like, I mean, it's pretty fun. (laughs) she's like okay okay well we'll see how that happen, how that goes when you don't get any for a while uh but yeah i give her a hard time about that i'm like she's like hey if you or that that's another thing if i plan a day to go out hunting and she's like or you could stay home and i'm like yeah i can do that year round though like this only comes <laughs> this only comes around for a couple weeks a year
1: <laughs> uh yeah, my wife will come with me and she'll just be like, oh, there's that, that bush over there looks nice. I'm like, oh, Lord.
0: Yeah, <laughs> that is hilarious. Uh, okay, so I haven't I haven't kept up with this. I used to ask all of my guests one question at the end of each show. And I guess it's like a three-part question. um, And that is, what's your bucket list hunt? Like, if you could hunt any animal... It's any animal, any location, any weapon. What would you do?
1: My bucket list hunt has been the same since I was a kid, and I still haven't had a chance to do it yet, as I want to go hunt Yukon moose with a bow.
0: Dude. Now, now we're speaking the same language, right? I've been... Yep. So, I mean, I don't know what your 2024 season looks like so far, but I have been heavily <laughs> researching Yukon moose with a bow and I've got a couple buddies. In fact, oh, I yeah. just, I, I talked to Dan Johnson. Uh, I don't remember if it was the last podcast or a couple podcasts ago about this exact thing, because I've been saying, I'm going to do it for years. And finally this year, I'm like, it's this year or next year. I'm not waiting any longer. I'm going to make it happen in the yep. next two years guaranteed. And after a few phone calls, after doing some research, I'm like, I think I think I'm gonna make it happen this fall.
1: That'd be a blast. I'd love to go hunt moose.
0: It's it's crazy inexpensive too. Like really, if you think about the whole trip and most people have in their mind ten, fifteen thousand dollars. If you go DIY, I I genuinely believe that this trip will cost us less than $4,500, maybe under $4,000 all in getting up there tags in our pockets, transportation, getting the meat back, everything. And so we might have to talk a little bit more off air about that because.
1: Yeah. Uh, that's funny thing too, is I got an uncle that lives in Alaska and we had planned a trip at one point too. He's got his own pilot's license. Uh, he, he has hookups for, you know, Plane drops, uh that bring you in and drop yeah. you off. Uh buddies, uh, we talked about doing a river float where we fly in, get dropped off, and then we float the river with a raft. And then he's got a buddy with a big boat that was gonna pick us up at the mouth of the river after a few days of hunting. Um, yeah. So I definitely I have a contact up there depending on what part of Alaska we want to go hunt. And, you know, so we might have some an in there anyway, save a little bit of money where we can so we can yeah. focus more on the hunt.
0: Yeah, I always, I mean, I always looked at it, and I looked up guiding fees, and I'm like, dude, some of these guys for unguided, which means you don't have a guy with you, they just put you in a target-rich environment. They're charging like ten thousand dollars just to get you into this spot, and I'm like, now, yeah, I'm not doing that. You know, like obviously their expertise is going to add to our success, oper- or you know, success percentage, but at the same time. I watch DIY guys do the exact thing you were talking about. Fly in, float out, and you're just calling all the way down the river. You stop, you call for a day or two, hunt one spot. If nothing shows up, you move to the next one. And that, to me, just seems like the the ultimate adventure.
1: Yeah. You're on your own. You don't have anyone you know coming to save you if something happens you got a plane coming on a specific date or a boat you know but otherwise it's on you and you're back there and alaska's a unforgiving country
0: dude it it really is i mean it's always been up there for me you know like caribou there was a long time where i thought like red stag new zealand wolf is up there on my list but like when you can get a moose tag for like 800 bucks a wolf tag Mm -hmm. for 50 bucks a caribou tag for 650 like you can hunt you can have three tags in your pocket and be in alaska hunting for a couple thousand dollars after transportation
1: yep and a lot of those over-the-counter moose tags are uh, um, moose or anything of lesser value so you could take a caribou you know if you're not seeing moose but you're on the caribou you you have an option to shoot something
0: Oh yeah, we, me and my buddy Austin, we've been talking every couple days about it, and I think he's in. I said that was my that was my last thing is I've got to find one other person that's going to come because I'm not doing a solo hunt up there for my first hunt. Uh, no. I know that. Um, but I was like, if I can get one other person at least that's in, I'd like to have like four because I feel like that'd be fun. And he's yep. like, what what weapon are you bringing? I'm like, you know, I'm not going to bring two, but. If we played it right, we could. If we had four guys, we could have two guys bring rifles, two guys bring bows. We all get set up pretty well with the two bows. And that way, if we start getting close opportunities, instead of shooting one with the rifle, we can use our bow. Or if we're not getting close enough, if we're seeing moose, but they're six, 700 yards out and not closing the distance, then we all just use the rifle. And same type of thing. Everybody gets one tag or if someone's feeling frisky buy two tags and then you get everything of lesser value. Like, dude, I'm so pumped about it. I, this fall, I can already picture it. It's either going to be the greatest season of my life or the most disappointing. I'm going to go on all these epic hunts and just (laughs) not get anything.
1: Well, uh, last year was a very, uh, a blessed season for us. Like we had a lot of success. We filled every single tag that we had. So. If you come out here to South Dakota, I'll I'll work my tail off to get you as your tag filled. So,
0: Yeah, my favorite line when I go and hunt with people, even my buddies, I'm like, hey, dude, the brochure said nonstop opportunities. And uh, (laughs) (laughs) I typically get punched for that or they just give me (laughs) a a dirty look. So uh, yeah, I'm pumped, man. We'll continue chatting and continue planning. And who knows if your September has any open timeframes, because I think... They haven't released the 2024 moose dates yet, but depending on what those dates are, they say it typically starts between the 1st and the 10th and goes through the end of the month. And so it's probably going to be mid to late September at some point. Um, But yeah. Oh,
1: my my birthday's in September. So that'd be a hell of a birthday present.
0: There you go. (laughs) Hey, babe. All yeah. I want for my birthday is a all-inclusive hunting trip to Alaska. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, yeah goes, we'll talk man. more
1: about that.
0: Yeah. Well, dude, I really appreciate you hopping on. I appreciate you reaching out and just yeah, of offering an opportunity to come up there and hunt. And uh, we'll we'll keep chatting. We'll chat dates, when to plan for. And then, yeah, I might rope you into the moose conversation if you think that might be possible.
1: Absolutely, we can make something happen.